0: This is Building Lifestyles, a show designed to help everyday Australians create a lifestyle that inspires them using property development strategies. On the show, you'll hear from everyday people changing their lives doing property development. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques that you can use to accelerate your property journey. I'm your host, Amanda McKeown, and I'm the founder of The Rising Star Developer, and I'm really passionate about helping everyday Australians build lifestyle using property development. Welcome to Building Lifestyles. I have an exciting podcast for you today. Today I'm going to be introducing you to Kathy from Inc. Wealth. Now one of the many questions that I get as part of property development is around finance and money. So I thought it was really timely, especially in June as we're heading into the new financial year, to bring a finance specialist into the podcast. So welcome Kathy.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much Amanda and uh, lovely to be here and uh, helping out all of your um, participants or your, your inner circle as you call them.
0: Thank you. So let's have a start because there's always a bit of a confusion around the term of mortgage broker, finance broker. Can you just start off just perhaps letting us know the difference between the two?
1: Well, I don't really think there's any any difference between the two. If I had to clarify it, I would say that a mortgage broker just specializes in doing say residential lending. A finance broker is probably more over commercial lending, business finance and development funding. So they're probably a little bit more specialized, but um, the terms are a little bit interchangeable.
0: Amazing. So uh, certainly when, I, when I'm when i speaking to my community and my inner circle group, one a, a good finance broker that has experience in property development is a really key part of your A-team. So what would you see being the main difference between perhaps a standard mortgage broker who just does residential funding compared to somebody who actually does have experience
1: in funding developments? Okay. So funding developments is a whole different ballgame to residential finance. Um, and really does need a lot of experience and time in the industry. So I highly recommend that um, if you're looking to do a development, that you do seek a mortgage broker that's been in the industry for, say, five years plus as a minimum, because even within five years, they're still learning the ropes on residential finance and even just standard commercial finance. So somebody that's been in the industry has a lot of experience and has a lot of contacts because that's really important as well Um, for small development. It's what contacts we've got that we can reach out to, to get the funding over the line for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's a conversation that I have with many, many people because I have many people in the community who may have a relationship directly with the bank and they'll go, I'll go and speak to my, uh, my private banker at one of the big four and understand my borrowing power. And, and I'm really, really passionate and, and um, highly recommend having a great finance broker on your team. What is the main difference? Like why would someone go to a finance broker versus just going to see their, their private banker?
1: So, really good question. So, there's a massive difference with uh, just walking into a bank and seeing a mortgage broker. So, a bank will only be able to sell you their products and, uh, and their policy. So, every bank between um, the major banks through to the second tier lendings, they've got amazingly different policy. And that's our job, to understand all that policy. And that is an absolute labyrinth for a client to try and understand, it's just impossible. And so if you walk into a bank, um, I describe it as it's um, it's like going shopping and only being able to walk down one shopping aisle. So you don't know what else is out there. There's a whole lot of other options that may be better for you in all the other aisles, but you've only been able to shop in one aisle. And often if you get a no from your major bank, because they are so strict with development funding, um you may think that that's a dead deal for you whereas there's so many other options available so i mean certainly you could reach out to your bank manager as a starter and have a crack but i would always recommend a um, a finance broker because we don't only have the major banks um, on our panels we've got all the second tier lenders that do uh, full doc and low doc and and uh, they act in the space of basically. Uh, approving loans for clients that weren't approved by the big banks and then we've got all the private funders that specialize in um, small to medium development funding. So yes, you could try with your bank manager, but please don't get discouraged if you if if there's a no because there's so, there's there's like hundreds of other options out there that will get you a yes.
0: Yeah, and you raise a couple of really good points there Kathy because what most people don't realize is that every bank has its own credit policies within the bank so one bank for example might have too many developments on its books so their credit department has suddenly said okay we're not taking any more developments here we're going to move to just investment or or just straight um, home lending and as you know as a a developer you don't always get exposure to that so because we're not in there always looking for finance and always speaking to banks so you're right, if you go there, you, you are just going down one aisle. And that's, that's, that's I think, one of the key yes. benefits as a developer that, that I have experienced in the past because you guys are living and breathing. You're talking to banks, uh, multiple banks, um, every single day and mm-hmm. really getting a good insight into every single bank's policy. So even though yeah. one bank may not be a policy right now, and I think that's one of the really valuable things about having a finance broker on your team because, you guys are having conversations every single day with multiple different banks, both uh, the majors and, and yeah. the smaller tier banks, and you're hearing what's going on. So if you're only speaking to your particular bank, um, mm. you're only getting one opinion. And I, I see yep. this time and time again where developers get really disheartened because the bank said no to them. They think their whole dreams about being a property developer are just gone. Yeah, but it's only if they had the right. And you're very opinion. likely
1: to get a no from the big banks as well. So you're yeah. more likely to get a no from them from it than any other lender. It does depend on the size of the deal yeah. and what you want to do. Um, but so we've got updates coming in via email from all our different lenders daily, and we we have direct access. So within every lender, including all our private. Um, private bankers we've got a person and a phone number and an email that we can literally pick up the phone and make a phone call to or you know maybe we'll do a little bit of a bulk email out um, and we we don't put the clients name we just say hey we've got this deal this is the parameters um, does this look like a deal that you guys can place two or three or come back and go yep yep that looks fine then we start to progress further with some finer details so we can really put it out there to a lot more lenders and we've got sort of that direct um, contact and and it. we'll we'll probably tap on this a little bit later but it depends on what the deal is um, as to where we look to put the um, to loan where we look to put the loan and that's the strategy that I love doing and that most mortgage brokers experienced mortgage brokers we start to love the strategy of the deal it's not just about a home loan anymore it's about where we're going to put this it's forward thinking of what you want to do with the next step it's not let's put it with xyz now we're planning for your investment future and making sure that we're placing it with the right lender so that strategy and that experience is very very important yeah
0: absolutely and given that money and funding your deal is such the enabler to actually even getting into a deal that strategy that finance brokers like yourself provide is the difference between getting into a deal and not so that's why Regardless, you know, when you're building your A team, it's so so important to be working with um, brokers and people that have got experience in broking, but also understand property development as well, because it is different yes. to normal buying, uh, you know, buying a standard home, um, yep. and and that's where the value you know, pays for itself time and time again.
1: Yeah, it really does. Um, and just I, you know, just building those contacts up is invaluable as well. Um, you know that you can just reach out to at a phone call. So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, and, and understanding that when a deal comes across your desk, where it's likely to end up. Yeah. Um, and uh, like, like for instance, you know, if we're just building a duplex, we will try and put that with a with a sort of a first tier lender for you because the interest rates are going to be low. Um, you'll be able to leverage very high. Um, you know, you will be able to leverage up to say a ninety percent, eighty to ninety percent loan to value ratio. So if it's just a smaller deal, we will try and put it with the best and cheapest option where you can leverage the most of the bank's money first. Yeah. Um, or, or then, you know, as the deal gets more complex, we may need to move into the second tier lenders where their policy is a little bit more relaxed. Their rates and fees are a bit higher, but if it's going to get the deal over the line, that's part. that's what you need to do. And then as the deal gets a little bit more complex, we move into development funding. And development funding is where, you know, you may not even need financials to complete the deal for development funding. It may it may all be based off the feasibility of the actual project. But the loan to value ratio or the or what they'll lend against um, changes as the risk increases on the deal. So if we're just lodging with a major bank for a duplex or or four. For um, two times two duplexes, say for instance, you know the, the risk is pretty low, so we can put you with the majors and and the, the LVR, the loan, which I don't want to talk lingo here. That means loan to value ratio, guys. LVR, loan to value ratio. Um, you know you may be able to leverage higher, and as the risk gets higher with the second tier lenders, the loan to value ratio may drop to seventy percent. And then as we move to development funding where we're not even showing financials, we're just using the actual feasibility of the deal, um, and and you're capitalising the interest, you don't even need to pay the interest, then you know the policy is a whole different spectre once we move to development funding, it's completely different. But the loan to value uh, ratio reduces down again and so with each of that you need to put in more of your own equity or more of your own cash etc and so that's what we analyze when we get a deal come across our table like where do we think this is going to be best placed
0: yeah and you raise a really good point then you call it development funding um other people associate it with being as commercial funding as well and it's a question that i get asked quite regularly when people are starting out they get really nervous about the thought of going into commercial funding versus residential funding Uh, And the conversation I have with with many people time and time again is is don't fear commercial or development funding because like you've just said, uh, it can actually really open the doors and, yes, it may cost you more to do commercial or development funding, but it actually gives you so much more flexibility. And when you're building up your feasibilities, you just build all of those those costs into your feasibility. And it, it can really be the difference between getting a deal across the line or not.
1: Yeah, that's right, and it really depends on um, you know on your deals. For so, for instance, I've just got one um, that we're working on at the moment, which is uh, um, very exciting, and it's um, it's a, a an elderly an elderly couple. They're in New South Wales. They've been owning their property for quite some time, and they're now looking to put um, a block of six units on it. So um, when he came to me, I s- sort of re- assessed the deal and thought we're not going to get this over the line with full doc because you're. You, you, they're quite elderly and closer to retirement so we're at the might we're almost in the middle of getting this um, over the line with a with development funding so because they've they had a lot of equity in that property and they didn't have uh, they had a very small loan remaining on it so because they had a lot of equity we could just get it over the line with the development funding and all the interest is capitalized on the loan Um, and it'll pay for the full construction amount. Now they are leaving that property, they're selling it. So they're not keeping any, they're selling it. So there's no end debt. And so um, it was a very straightforward deal based off the feasibility of the project. If you are keeping an end debt, I I should just point out, if you are keeping one or two of the properties and there will be an end debt, then there's usually financials required where you just need to prove um, that you can refinance out that loan. Because what happens with development finance is that once you've finished with the development if you if there is to be um, one or two properties left and any debt remaining you've got to finance that out back to mainstream lending and so you they want to make sure that you can service to finance that out they don't want to be stuck with you or having to sell properties because you can't you know you can't afford the the end project so um, but I probably jumped the gun a little bit too much there into
0: no that's okay. <laughs> Oh, it's great because I and it's great you mentioned about um, you know your clients that are venturing towards retirement. I think there's one thing that to impress upon people is there is no one size fits all when it comes to funding, is there? Because everyone's personal circumstances are so different financially, so different. but also whether you're an employee or got your own business and. And I've always seen this is where um, having a really great finance broker on your team is so important to help you navigate through all that and and yes. work out whether it's a low doc or whether you can go into
1: or what sort of yep. funding is going to be most dock options available. Definitely, yep. For uh, with the second tiers, you can generally look at some low doc, and there's owner builder um options available with the second tiers as well you know if you walk into one of the majors and and uh ask to do a project as as an owner builder you'll be walking out reasonably quick <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, really.
0: yeah. so for people who are starting out and and are just trying to get their head around uh development funding um if they're working with a, a broker like yourself what sort of information should they start pulling together so that you can best assess what their borrowing power is? Because I think it's one of the first hurdles that a lot of people when they're starting out um, need to get over to then even understand what their own financial capacity is.
1: Yes, it's true. So, I mean, finance is so crucial in in the whole process of uh, doing your development. Um, Look, the first thing is just to reach out to a broker and initiate the conversation. So, um, what we'll do then is we'll capture your goals and your needs and we'll ask a few basic questions. Off the back of those basic questions, we'll probably send you a very short questionnaire to get some more detail on the project. Um, and then we can kind of assess where we think your deal is going to be placed, like how big how big it is. Is it going to be mainstream? Uh, there, there's the mainstream for, uh, residential type of lending for the smaller projects. Then you go to the mainstream commercial then we've also got the second tier lending and then we've got the development. So really there's there's four types of lending that we assess when we're looking at a deal. And so we just reach out, start the conversation so that we can capture the deal. We will ask you for some um, details and, um, and, and a very uh, sort of a brief fact find. Things that we'll ask for is where's the security property, um, Uh, financials assets liabilities have you done a feasibility study yet like have you done a quantity have you got a quantity surveyors report yet it depends how far down the track you are obviously Um, and depends on how complex the deal is as well if it's just a duplex you know you don't need a quantity surveyor most of the time etc so um, so reach out and start the conversation every finance broker is going to have their their own process ours is to have an initial conversation then we'll send you uh, a form to fill out with some with some brief detail. We we get we get your financials. Uh, probably get a copy of your financials in, and then we'll we'll sit down and kind of assess that before reaching back out to you and say, hey, we've had a little bit of a look, and this is what we think, and we take it from there. And as you said, everybody's situation is so different, from from PAYG to really complex self-employed that have got a couple of different companies to um, partnerships coming together, you know, somebody might not have the the equity or the cash to do the deal, but they've brought on a sponsor to help them. So mm-hmm. all of that is so individual to every deal um, that it's hard to answer in a cliche form of exactly what we need. So the first step is just to reach out, I think, and start the conversation.
0: Yeah, okay. And so in terms of timing, so if someone reaches out to you to get an idea of what their financial capacity is, and they're quite new, how long does it actually tend to take but when they they first engage with you to then get a feel for what their actual borrowing capacity may be to do a deal?
1: Um, Okay, that's not a straightforward question either because, I mean, we could have a really complex deal where we're reaching out to the development funders and we might reach out to five or six of them and we're waiting for all their answers to come back. It can also be dependent on the client providing us with the documentation so that we can do the review. Generally, once we get a lead through, um, we'll pick up the phone and make an appointment with myself. Um, uh, Louise from our office will make an appointment with myself. I'll reach out and do that do that first conversation where I really understand the deal and get your goals and, and a picture for what the client's trying to do. Then we'll send them um, a list of documents that we need and a, and a snapshot of the deal that they're putting together. That's when we then um, will put aside, it, depending on the complexity, we, need, we may need to put aside a half a day to a day to actually review that um, and, and really make some inroads on that. Um, if we understand the deal enough and we have we have a feel for it, we'll then reach out to our lenders straight away and see what's possible. Um, if it's a really basic deal, like a duplex or or a three, even a four. Um, and we're we're thinking that we're gonna put them with mainstream lending, we need a couple of days to work on the financials and do a preliminary assessment. So the preliminary assessment is quite detailed. We get back to them with, um, look, this is how much you can borrow, this is how much savings or equity you will need to complete this deal, including the costs in the middle for your um, town planner and the the engineer reports and the the, um, surveyor, et cetera any of the water costs so we kind of add that into our into our preliminary and we say look we think it's possible for you to buy a property worth a million dollars and we think it's possible for you to do that duplex that you know you should be able to build for say eight hundred thousand um, uh, and you you've you've covered the equity the savings etc and the servicing and this is the bank we recommend so that's quite a complex preliminary assessment and that look I would say from a for, for a deal like that from it from initial contact point probably a week Um, so it's best to reach out early like don't think that a broker is just sitting there waiting for your phone call (laughs) you're busy people we have generally got a few things happening on the side okay so we're pretty busy so you do need to allow us time to actually focus on your deal so reach out early don't wait for the last minute um, in saying that, I've had three clients re- ring me yesterday and say that they've found properties. We've got no, preli- no, no preliminary assessment done, no pre-approval, anything. So that kind of hijacks your day and you've just got to jump into it. So that happens, that always happens. But if you can help it, reach out early and give your broker time to do, to do the assessment properly. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's certainly great advice. So what, with the clients you've seen in the past, what have been common challenges or pitfalls that you've come across that have really held people back from being able to get the funding they need?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, so to get the funding you need, okay, the first thing that you really need to nurture if you're moving into being a property developer is your credit file. So the credit file is generally the first thing that the majors and even the second tier lenders will, will look at just to, just to make sure that there's no, you know, um, bankruptcy or, or really large unpaid debts on there. So anything you're doing with finance and if you're moving into the industry where you're going to start asking for finance all the time and even just homeowners or investors, your credit file is the first thing you need to make sure it's got no marks on it. So pay all your bills on time pay your mortgages on time they can see now whether if you haven't paid your mortgage for a month and you play catch-up and you only pay it the next month it'll have a one on your credit file now against that loan let's say you've got a loan with Westpac you'll have a one against that month to show that you missed that month you're a one month late well the banks don't like that at all so that could be the difference between the bank approving the loan or not so just Start to nurture that. You can get a free copy of your credit file. It's on uh, it's on Equifax or or My Credit File. It's a very basic report, but you can get a copy. I would say the second pitfall is um, you need to have enough equity to do this deal. As a minimum, you really need to have. If it's just a even if you leveraged as high as you can for a smaller deal, you can go up to 90%. So as a need that. Um, uh, that in- that includes the lenders mortgage insurance fee which is another whole thing, we won't go into that. Look, as a minimum I'd say you need 20% deposit for the um, initial purchase of the property and and you should be prepared to have 20% to put into the construction loan because if you're moving that project ahead as quickly as you can, you may not have had a lot of growth in the property. So therefore you're gonna need the 20% for the initial purchase and 20% to contribute to the construction plus 50 to 70 you know approximately to, for a smaller deal um for your costs to get to get the uh, all the plans drawn up and and all the reports done um so so 20% as a minimum if you're looking for anything larger than that and we're going to um the second tier or the private funding you really need 30 to 40% equity so yeah. where is that equity coming from is it is it equity that you've got in a in a property which equity in a property is good, but if we're pulling that out as a loan, you need to service for that too. So we work, depending on your scenario, we figure all that out. If you've got a line of credit or a cash and it's already sitting there, fabulous. Um, or you know, if you've got investments that you're downselling, or have you got an equity partner or a sponsor that's coming in with the cash? So that, that equity is super important. You can't do the deal without figuring that part out. Um, and the second, uh, what would be the third most important thing? Making sure that you've done your due, due diligence prior, and making sure that um, you, you've done your homework with doing your course, Amanda. And that even comes, you know, if I'm lodging an application and I can say that they've completed a six-month course, they're not just, you know, winging this. Um, they've completed a six-month course, and they know what they're doing. They've already got a feasibility study. They've, you know, they've got the templates for that. They've, they've approached a town planner and, and found out whether it's possible all of that weighs in on, on a yes for the client. So doing their due diligence and, and making sure that they've run run the figures, like do a little bit of it. I, I can help you certainly, and that's what we do, but you should have done a little bit of your own figures yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, and you raise a good point there. So when, I, when I'm teaching my students about getting themselves ready to do a deal, um, first thing has been the feasibility, making sure that you can even, the deal is viable. If, if This is if you've actually found a deal and you wanted to get funding, this is prior to if you just yeah. wanted to know your borrowing power. But what I also do is I I give students my information memorandum template, which really, if you have a deal, it captures the feasibility, but it also shows you've done your research and know what you can and can't do on the, on the site. You've done your research into the end sales prices. So even if you haven't done a deal right, being able to yeah. go to a broker or a bank and say, hi, hey guys, here's my information memorandum. Here's my deal. Here's the, I can actually do what I want to do on it. Here's some comparable sales. Here's my feasibility showing what profitability yeah. is. And I'm getting supported by somebody who's who's got years of experience and, and done, you know, over 66, built 66 houses and what have you. Exactly, yeah. That's a very different conversation to have with a, a finance broker and a bank than if you're going in cold and going, oh, I'm not sure what I need. I don't quite even understand the difference between debt and equity to do a deal. Um, and that is really the power of being able to invest in yourself and, and getting support from an educator, but also a, a broker like yourself to be able to help put the piece of the puzzle together to put your case in front of a financer in the best light possible.
1: Yes. And I'll just, I'll just also um, add to that. Sometimes, if you're doing a, one of the smaller developments, obviously, if you're doing a larger one, you absolutely have to have your feasibility study, and and you need to have a, a whole lot more information gathered. If you're just looking to do, you know, buy a, buy a property that has a house on it, subdivide it, and build a duplex or one down the back, um, and you may even have a buyer's agent that's going to help you find that suitable property, then you don't need to have a lot of information, because then it's really up to me just yeah. to say this is the maximum purchase price we think you this is your maximum lending capacity this has to include the purchase of the land and your construction costs um and off the savings or equity that you've told us you've got this is your maximum purchase price so we kind of then let them go to the buyer's agent or out to market with with what they can what what's possible so if it's just a smaller deal they don't have to have a lot a lot of things completed as as we've just mentioned um but if it's a larger one yes yes they do
0: yeah, for sure. So that's certainly if you're doing a development, you would want that information. If you're doing a simple land split, like you mentioned, yep. a simple land subdivision where you're just buying a block of land, bulldozing it, splitting it into two or three, uh, yeah, you can certainly be you go a lot simpler and you'd go with very simple residential funding for that as well. And, and these yep. are the conversations you'll have, right? So, um, so the first place to start is always engage your finance broker and just understand what your line in the sand is in terms of how much you have access to to even do a deal. And it may come back, right, that, you know, you may need, you may want to have 500000 a meal or $2 million to be able to do a deal and then you get uh, the news back that perhaps you don't have as much as you'd like. That doesn't mean that your your goals of doing development are completely gone. It just means that you then need to open your mind to other ways of being able to fund your deal, whether that's using yes, money partners or investors to be able to yeah. then part, provide whatever it is that you don't have. And that's certainly been the enabler in terms of how I've been able to scale my business, but it's the same with a lot of people around you um, or students around me as well. So but that's the conversations to be having. We firstly start off with understanding our our borrowing capacity and having conversations um, with Cathy and her team there to be able to find that out. Once you know that, then you can go shopping, find your deal, uh, and then use multiple different strategies to then get your deal funded. Um, and that then involves get okay. engaging once you found a deal, then having that next level of conversation with your broker to to get that deal funded.
1: Yep, so true. So it, it just allows you to pivot if you need to or go looking for a sponsor or or yeah it it is it is usually useful to still have a day job by the way with um, when you're doing the small development i mean obviously you still need a service for the loan so a desk job is what's going to get you that um that loan for the small development if you don't have a desk job then you're definitely looking at development funding which is possible you just need a lot of equity
0: Yeah, certainly and one thing that i impress upon my students as I say don't leave your day job until you've banked at least two times the income because you do need that serviceability unless you're using a money partner to provide your borrowing um, you need that for serviceability but then you also want to make sure you've got income coming in while you're building your whole property development business to be able to keep the roof over your head and food on the table which is really really important (laughs) so I have a very strong focus on risk managing risk um, yes. and, and for me, having a great broker on my team is a key strategy around managing that risk so that I know that I can always get funding for my deals. And um, I personally always have conversations with my broker on a regular basis going, okay, well, I'm looking to do a deal in, in X, X amount of time, how are things looking from a finance perspective just to understand where the market's at too because you're on the front line, right? So you you're hearing what's
1: happening yes. in the market. And it's changing. Um, oh, my gosh, it's so it hard is. to keep up with the policy and the bank is changing daily yeah, yeah it's crazy it's isn't it
0: <laughs> so how, how do finance brokers get paid because it is different when it, when you're dealing with residential funding compared to development funding can you just share yeah. with the listeners what the difference is between that so they're clear about what costs may be involved we don't get specific on cost but just so they understand yeah. yep. how you get paid and and um, when they work with a broker
1: so a, a finance broker gets paid by the bank if it's a normal uh first-tier lender or second-tier lender we get paid by the bank for doing all the work up front so we're basically we submit everything we've already done all the scenario we've id the client qualified their lending sent all the documents in on settlement of the loan we get paid a commission from the bank it's called an upfront payment that upfront payment, if we close that loan down, or if the loan is closed down within 18 months, we get that upfront payment clawed back from us. That's actually our industry terminology. It's called clawed back. So basically, if you purchase a property and, and you do your development and you sell it within uh, a year and a half, we've made no money. So it gets clawed back from us. So. Um, and if with development with development funding, it's uh, it's different. They don't pay us a commission. We get we we get a um, an engagement fee or a mandate fee from the client. So what we do is when we're working with our developers, um, and we know that there's every possibility that they're going to close the loan down within 18 months, we mandate a fee. And this is for the simple ones. This is for like two to six. When we when we're talking the bigger um, bigger development deals. Our mandate fee will vary depending on the complexity of the deal. If it's a reasonably straightforward deal, we will will ask for that commission off the client upfront. So, before the loan settles, you need to pay us what our commission would be. If that loan is still in place in 12 months' time, because the banks actually take back 100% at 12 months and then they take back the rest of the, the, um, they'll only take 50% back at 18 months. So what we do is if that loan is still in place within 18 months, say, we refund, and and then there's no clawback, we refund that back to the client. So we just need to, and and any broker that does development finance is the same. So um, basically we need to make sure that we're being paid for the work that we do. And for the development finance, there's so much more work than a normal residential, there really is. We we really do nurture the client through the whole process. we 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 strategize with them where we're going to place them up front. And then we're holding their hand throughout the whole um, process of all the construction loans, the consent to subdivide. So there's a lot more work involved. So we have we do have an upfront engagement fee to do the assessment for you. And then for our Commission on the actual loan we will ask for that up front but it's a hundred percent refunded if the loan isn't closed down and we don't get any clawback so that's the way it works for just the normal resi lending or even second-tier lending if if you're going to um, development funding that's um, we don't get paid anything by the bank and that depends on the complexity of it and we will um, we will judge that and we will uh, uh, generally set a mandate fee for our work and our time on that project
0: yeah and the reason why i ask that question i think it's really important for developers to understand the costs that are involved in funding your deal because most people when they they have used a broker they've bought their own home and they don't see a lot of fees They think okay well this person's worked for free and and they don't see the costs that are involved because that's being paid by the bank The banks are effectively using brokers as their business development team but it's very different in in development because we're, you're generally in and out in a project within a certain period of time. Yeah. And I believe everybody there's enough there's enough money in property development for everybody to get their piece of the pie for their work that they've done. So yes. um, yep. it's always worthwhile having a conversation with your broker up front when you're looking at doing a deal to get a feel for what those costs will be. And generally when you're doing a, a development deal, they're going to be in the thousands, but then you yeah. factor that into your feasibility and that just becomes a cost of doing business. Um, So have those conversations with your broker when you have a deal to understand what those likely costs may be. And then you just build those into your feasibility. So it makes sure that after all the costs that are being paid for your finance, that your deal is still profitable and it's worthwhile going ahead. So this is where it's really, really important to have a great relationship with your broker and any of your A-team really – because it's yep. not just a one-off transaction you are working with them throughout from right the very beginning understanding your borrowing power but then also when you've got your deal getting your land funding for the raw site and then when yep. you're refinancing for your construction funding and then each of the progress claims as well so there is a lot of work that's involved from a finance broker to support you in that capacity so it's
1: have those conversations up. early I was about to say it's just doing a normal residential home loan or a refinance. To do a development and a construction, it's at least double the amount of work required from the broker. So they're going to want to make sure that they're going to be paid and that um, and they're not relying on, on you to say, oh look, it should be 12 months or it should be 18 months. Look, that's fine, we'll get paid up front and we'll refund that to you if it does, if, if the if the project does go go beyond that timeline but uh, yeah so exactly so they just incorporate that into their cost and they're happy to have because we are kind of the linchpin in yeah. between the middle we really are connecting the client with the lender and we are keeping the lender honest too so we generally save you money with that as well if you just go in to any you know um small to medium uh, uh private lender you don't know whether the rate that they've quoted you they've seen you coming And the rate that they've quoted you is outrageous. So we are the ones that keep them honest and, um, you know, get you a good deal. So it's generally well worth your time.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Now, you've worked with many developers over the years. I'd love to know perhaps even your top three, what are three things that really good developers do well that enables you to do your job well? Um, and, and to keep that whole process between getting your funding so much more easier and streamlined. Do you have any tips that you can share with with uh, the listeners?
1: Um, developers that know what they're doing, they will come to me with an outline of the project straight away. So um, they will generally have already done a feasibility. Um, they will let me know... Um, where their equity and their cash savings is coming from so they've they've already got their own little template that they've pretty much filled out for me Um, uh, first first first-time developers are not meant to know this and and we understand that we've got our own template we can send you but they come to us with um, with all the information up front the other thing they understand is that there's a lot of documentation required in getting these loans over the line Um, there's for development for for development or construction and developments even more than just a smaller construction when you're doing larger it's not just the documents for the for the financials and the assets liabilities and and the ID and things like that there's the quantity surveyors report you might need um, you might need information on a builder and I'll just throw in here while we're talking um, some of the development funding uh really rely on who who what builder are you contracting as well and it can help your um your opportunity to get a yes from a a development funder if you've had a builder with a lot of experience and some of them will in fact ask for information about the builder and past experience of the builder so um so they realize that there's a lot of documentation required that is that is probably the, the worst job that you as a developer need to do for, for me uh, or, or to get your funding, is to provide the um, the list of documentation. And the the sooner that you accept that and just sort of march on with it, yeah. the easier it is. So they understand the documentation trail as well, yeah.
0: Yeah, and the first time is always going to be the most challenging while you navigate through all this documentation. And you're not quite sure what comes next. And, and I think as when you're managing a project, you've just got to keep on top of it and keep pushing through and, and and moving through it. otherwise if you sit on this documentation for two to three to four weeks that's then going to flow on to you actually getting to site and starting to build and and ultimately you're getting paid at the end so um yeah. it is part of doing business and it doesn't take a lot of time but it's just one of those things that you have to do isn't it to be able to enable you just to, be able to get the funding and
1: dedicate the time and we we often liaise directly with clients some um, accountants and you know if we need financials you just send an introduction to your accountant and we ask them, we talk the talk with the accountant and they can flick us off all the PDFs that we need in, in about one minute rather than you, the client often hunting through their files and trying to photocopy the last two years financials. So, you know, we can try and make it as easy as possible.
0: And you raised the point about accountants. Is it, do you think it's worthwhile that um, the person who's engaging you has had a chat with their accountant first to understand if they are going to head down this development path what's the best structure for them does that
1: actually affect how you're going to secure funding i don't think it affects funding unless it gets larger yeah. um if you're just doing it doesn't matter whether you're putting in a company or a personal name for the smaller developments yeah and the banks generally lend the same whether it's in a company or a trust or in your personal names there's the the loan to value ratio or lvr is generally the same. So it doesn't for the smaller developments. I think if you're doing a bigger development and it's pretty serious, you know, much more serious stuff that you're looking at, yes, that's that's um, a conversation that you should have definitely had. Just about all things development. This is what I'm looking at doing. Um, you know, obviously I'm gonna be paying GST on, on all of this should I be putting it in a company with just myself for asset protection or or both of us or yeah I think and depending whether you've got another business partner coming in so if it's a smaller deal it doesn't it doesn't matter initially for us to do the the um, preliminary assessment for you. you can make that decision right up to signing a contract you know, it doesn't take long to set up a company and an ABN. No, um, but maybe for the bigger deal, that is a, definitely a conversation you should engage. Yeah, I would. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great.
0: Now, can we just let the listeners know you're based in New South Wales, but you've got connections all around, so you can 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 people from all different states engage Inc Wealth to be able to help them with their financing?
1: Yes, my database is national, um, and our lenders are national, so it doesn't matter. What bank it is? They're lending nationally, and um, and my clients are all around Australia. So um, so absolutely, we we you know we I don't even have that many face to face appointments even with my local clients anymore. Everything now is done. I id clients over video over a video id or over a quick app. Um, so everything's really is via email and video these days. So yep, definitely doesn't matter.
0: Amazing. So if people want to actually start um, getting their assessment, their initial borrowing power worked out what's the best way for them to be able to do that
1: um okay so reach out to me i'll give you my email and you i'm sure you can probably put this up as well amanda so it's Show notes. The k at inkwealth.com.au or you can go under our website however i do have a special handout for um for you so if you want the special handout you just need to go to inkwealth backslash com.au/backslash/development/checklist. So if you go to that link, um, we do have a little handout for you, and there's also a second little um, gift in there for for them as well. So there'll be there'll be two handouts for them if they go to that link.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And we'll put all this in the show notes as well so people listening to this can easily go there and access that. And, and any sort of checklist like that is so helpful when you're starting out. So thank you so much for sharing yeah. your experience and your insight. Finance is such a key part of property development and, and just by what they're gonna, people are going to learn from this podcast is, is going to help that very first step of understanding where to go and where to start so much easier. So thank you so much for your time and I look forward thank to,
1: you to... very much for having me.
0: Pleasure anytime and look forward to helping people in the community really
1: get over that first hurdle to understand yeah, their borrowing exactly. power and moving ahead. I look head. forward to helping anybody that reaches out. Thanks so Thanks. much, Amanda. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening.
0: This is Building Lifestyles, a show designed to help everyday Australians create a lifestyle that inspires them using property development strategies. This podcast was produced by the Rising Star Developer, we've been helping Australians realise their financial and lifestyle goals since 2020. We play a pivotal role in educating, supporting, and celebrating the goals and successes of our students and our community. To find out how we can help you realise your property, wealth, and lifestyle goals, head to our website, www.risingstardeveloper.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Building Lifestyles, be sure to subscribe to and follow the show in your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review as it really helps others find the show. I'm Amanda McEwen and we'll be back next episode with more tips on how you can build your lifestyle.